Welcome, you penny-pinching philanthropists. I am all glad, no sad, to be your falsetto prophet host this fine F-Stars day. Tell me, audience, are you penniless, parsimonious, and penurious? Or are you a profitable, prosperous member of the plutocracy? How much does your WCC dictate your financial freedoms and your monetary legroom in life's aisle? All expensive questions with perhaps priceless answers. There is an adage as old as the sport of football is over-commercialized. You get what you pay for. You get what you pay for, meaning the less you pay for something, the lower quality it will inevitably be, especially when there are pricier options. That applies to people. People are carbon-based commodities. Now, we're not talking about slavery. We're not talking about human trafficking. We're talking about when you go into the working world, you are giving up a lot for some type of compensation in return. You determine what your own worth is. So you factor in all that you are sacrificing for this almighty dollar. The thing is, when you're young, before school, maybe fresh out of school, you don't quite realize the value of your time yet. How long it takes to get ready. How long it takes to transport yourself to said employer. Working virtually, of course, is a newfound phenomenon of sorts. But there are still things that you're having to give up, like your sanity, your patience. You may have a gas tank of 85 to 90% of patience for that day. Think of it like a charge on your laptop. You've only got so much battery before you need to recharge. If you have a really trying day or week, month, quarter, year, or decade at work, you will have less patience for other factors and facets of your life. It's important to think about all that you will be sacrificing in order to truly arrive at a precise figure that you should be compensated for. There is an exception to the you get what you pay for idiom regard to investments. Why are some investors obsessed with paying more and receiving less? You get what you pay for is one of their excuses. We use phrases like you get what you pay for sometimes to justify overpaying for things. And when it comes to financial assets, high price has to mean high value, correct? Not quite. When you are investing, you want to keep as much of your investment as is possible. You're paying more in fees, you're keeping less investment. It doesn't always apply in a direct translation. Sometimes it's a little more nuanced. But thinking about an investment, if I'm an employer, I would see that carbon-based commodity that we just spoke on as an investment, a long-term investment. Wouldn't it be better to hire someone, have them be a dutiful, dedicated, loyal employee for 35 years, and then you give them a nice big fat pension or retirement package, they leave and they spoke highly of their company, their employer, and their retirement to all their retirement pals. They raise their kids to want to work for the same industry because it's an industry that takes such good care of their people. Wouldn't that be a good investment? That's not what I had at my former company. I already told you the story seemingly a lifetime ago. There was a gentleman named Bob and Bob worked for my former employer for 35 years and he was kind and he was courteous. He contributed daily and he was very focused on getting the job done appropriately and timely. What was the company's contribution to a 35-year investment in Bob? It was a sheet cake from Costco, probably bought in bulk so as to alleviate any excess cost that could go into an individual sheet cake. And an email went out that asked us to bring in his favorite snack, which was potato chips. They would not even 
foot the bill for potato chips, people. That is the level of lunacy we are dealing with. Do you know what I just did with the example about something that was an exception to the rule? I included a minority opinion maneuver on myself to keep myself honest. Whenever you are broaching a point, make sure you list at least one counterpoint to your point that you believe holds credence. You know how to know if someone is full of S-stars? Ask them, for example, if they are leaning one side of the political spectrum. Whether they're liberal, whether they're conservative, it matters not. But just ask them to name some opposing points from the other side of the spectrum that they wholeheartedly agree with. Political is but one example. You can apply this counterpoint psychology to any passionate projections you hold. I will do it to myself right F-stars now. As you have no doubt detected by now, my righteous animus towards camo, grandma, and freck is well past palpable. It oozes out of every pore of my corpus that used to house and harbor cancer until we nicked that cancer right in its A-stars. I felt mistreated and mismanaged by camo, grandma, and freck prior to my cancer. So you can fathom the razor-thin nature of my patience upon my return to the bomb shelter to compensate the devil his unholy due. Freck was not hideous by insurance company standards. If there was a workplace calendar, she would have been granted February, maybe April, not July, of course. She was reasonable as far as she was not overtly difficult. Camo. While camo could be easygoing on your time management as far as stepping away from work, that man had more deliveries of appliances and contractor drop-by needs than anyone I have ever known. And I have known people who lost 75% of their home to fire damage. Maybe that is why he was lenient on taking time off, because he was doing it himself. Of course, I suspect that there was a sub-basement built underneath the property in a Jeffrey Dahmer-era collection of children, which they could be fed on like a Wendigo when he got hungry, i.e. cannibal camo. He was lenient on you taking time off, so I was appreciative of that. Grandma. She was a heartless, soulless, life-force-sucking harpy. but. She knew how to politicize the work, and her politicking was Marcus Brutus in its mastery. You know Marcus Brutus. He had a hand in giving old Caesar that big pat on the back with a blade. I am trying, audience. I am trying to accentuate their positives or morph their perceived flaws into worthwhile focus points. For purposes of this session, if you want to attain and retain top-tier talent, you must make the honeypot of payment so sweet and enticing that even the most restrained bumblebee will bumble his sweet tooth A-stars into said pot and linger a while. Here's some quotes. Oh, we love some good quotes, don't we? This is from that great show Rescue Me, kind of that comedy drama about New York firemen. So Tommy Gavin, the main star, played by Dennis Leary, I'll take the high road. And then Lou asks, huh, you? Okay, maybe not the high road, but certainly not the lowest road, which is where you normally travel. Hey, you kidding me? I drew up the original maps. How low does your company stoop, dear listeners? Remember, they wrote the rules and they drew the maps. In the insurance world, in a court of law, any ambiguity in policy language goes to the insured or the customer, not the insurer or the insurance company. Why? Those policies were written by lawyers. Unfortunately, with regard to your pay, pay scale, and output reimbursement, who do you think falls on the winning side of those up-in-the-air arguments? Between you and your WCC, guess. I'll wait. Have you figured it out yet? Your company wrote the rules, and you get no quarter. You sign contracts, you enter the organization with the best of hopes and the brightest of dreams. 
But remember, you have to play by their rules. They're not going to readjust their schedule to accommodate you. Your pay is locked in stone. You are not Arthur pulling out Excalibur from that stone, okay? You don't have that privilege. Whatever you're getting paid, that's likely what it will remain for a good long while. Be mindful of your current salary. Is it commiserate with your needs? Here's some more quotes. In that great film, Oliver Stone's Wall Street, where Michael Douglas playing Gordon Gekko won an Academy Award for Best Actor, Bud Fox, played by Charlie Sheen, who is Gordon Gekko's protege, so to speak. Sun Tzu, if your enemy is superior, evade him. If angry, irritate him. If equally matched, fight. And if not, split and reevaluate. It's a good life lesson, audience, in your work and in your private life. Carl Fox, that's Bud Fox's father. Money is only something you need in case you don't die tomorrow. Gordon Gecko. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Read Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Every battle is won before it is ever fought. Maybe you should read Sun Tzu before you go into your year-end evaluations, dear listeners. Another Gordon Gecko quote. Money never sleeps, pal. Just made 800000 in Hong Kong gold. It's been wired to you. Play with it. You've done good, but you gotta keep doing good. I've showed you how the game works. Now school's out. And the most famous Gordon Gecko quote. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. This episode will also touch on the concept of greed, dear listeners, as we are talking about your compensation. Pecuniary peril, dear audience. Pecuniary peril. Know it, recite it as you slurp up your Wheaties in the morning. That's what I call your evaluation and your own compensation. Pecuniary peril. I love alliteration, as you know. Welcome, audience. Whether you are sitting throne-like opulence or hobbling around for your next fix of brief relief impoverished, you are welcome to this dose. Welcome to Chapter 33, White Collar, Black Belt, White Collar, Tight Dollar. You siphon money, now F-stars share it. I should have been a salesperson. Then there may have been no upper limit to my sales. The issue I had eternal with sales is that I believe few products to be worthy of such a determined, dedicated, high-velocity sales pitch. When I say they do not make products like they used to, this is not simply waxing nostalgic. You kings and queens know in your heart of hearts that there is an overt, obscene decline in the commodity quality. Repair shops are virtually extinct, less a few antique clock repairs, shoe and sole repair, and maybe precious stones and other looms and trappings of the familial. But in this throwaway F-Star society, where refuse runs rampant, it also extends to seasoned labor, does it not? Why pay a senior representative when you can pay 2.5 fresh out of school for the same amount? It is a numbers game. What would I sell people? I am no inventor. I would be selling products not made by my own claws. Point extant is when you work for a predetermined salary with no spot bonus, only the possibility of a raise, and the mere strongly suggested but not guaranteed annual bonus, it is easy to forget why you are expected to work harder, with a sharper focus, or to assume additional projects when those monetary digits remain the same. I would look at my salary at the beginning of the year, and I knew that that figure was going to remain the same for at least the next 13 months. Sure, sure, you'd get a little bonus every year, mostly, but they'd take away 30 to 33% of that in taxes. It was an insult to the injury of a stationary salary. And when you do get a raise or a performance enhancer, whatever you want to call it, it wouldn't go into effect until later the next calendar year, 
and you wouldn't even see the fruits from that for like three to four months. Also, it was usually between two and three percent of your base salary. That's basically taking care of a portion of the taxes. Nowhere does that play a factor in the cost of living, the cost of living increase. If you're living in a happening area, let's say an urban environment, those costs are skyrocketing and they're remaining exponential in their growth. But if you're getting a three to four, maybe even a 5% raise, that's not even enough to combat the cost of living increases. The company don't care. So how much should you care and what your output gleans for the company? If you want to best incentivize the shiz out of our badonkadonks, okay, badonkadonks, I cannot leave that alone. I know we went over imposterior syndrome and I was content with how that episode landed, gracefully and with a theatrical conclusion. But that word will ever be forever docked to my memory bank, for it was old Lewis at Starbucks that said badonkadonk. He saw some gal in line and he looked at us who were in the process of making his drink. Did you see the badonkadonk on her? Oh, good lordy. This guy said it half exhausted, eyes bloodshot red, but he always looked like that. Why am I talking about Lewis? Because Lewis worked two to three jobs. He was always a calm, nice gentleman. He spent 10 to 12 hours a day doing his long trucking hauls. And then when he wasn't doing that, he would be cutting down trees in the forest for the forestry department. And I asked him, since he works about 110 hours a week, Lewis, what do you do on your weekends? Well, I drive over to Louisiana and I help my mother prune her garden and do landscaping at her house. This guy never slept. He would get red eyes or black eyes on the night shift at Starbucks. But man, that is the first time I've ever heard the word badonkadonk used so gracefully and expertly. Thank you, Lewis, for that kind memory. Lewis understood the value of the almighty dollar. It's elusive. You've got to work hard for that dollar. As an employee, your company claims that you're a professional. Now, I know what they won't say. I am a PST or professional shiz taker. But if we are maintaining the naive outlook that we are truly professionals, then you need to treat us as professionals, not wayward foundlings who suffer ADHD, but as actual factual professionals and extend us every conceivable courtesy. What happens when a loved one dies or dies prematurely or loses a limb or their ability to see? What happens when someone loses their most precious person or cherished commodity? You are paid for your loss. Does it make it right? No, this is not a question of morality. It's a question of math. It may not bring that person back or bring your hand back or your vision back, but you know what money does? It lets you grieve more comfortably. You need to pay better than correct. You need to pay your talent 20% more than fair market value. And that's just for starters, if you want to retain them, which brings us to this article. How much should you pay your employees by Bob Adams? who is a Harvard MBA serial entrepreneur. I suggest, he says, you pay your people well. By doing so, your total employment cost over time end up being a lot less than if you didn't pay your people well, and your chances of outstanding business success will be higher. You might decide that you are going to pay at least in, say, the upper half of the going wage range, or in the top 30% of the range. Paying people can actually save you money. How, we ask. If you pay your people a slight premium to the going or average marketplace wages, you will be able to hire better people, those who are more talented, capable, motivated, and enthusiastic. You will have a better work atmosphere and team environment with those you paid more, and they will stay with your company for longer. They will work a little harder, but a lot harder than average employees. Less turnover. Pay the person, not the position. My company didn't do that. 
because my company would only see the forest. They would not see the individual trees. You got to be nice to the individual tree. Remember, if you remember that story nugget I told you, I was walking outside of middle school, crashed into a tree, thought it was a person. I apologized to the tree, much to my chagrin, and C. Drew will never let me forget it. But you pay the person, not the position. In smaller companies, employees are often responsible for multiple tasks. I work for a large company. I had over 38 people just in my department, and we had a lot of departments, and we were responsible for a multitude of tasks. Or their performance is expected to make all the difference in the overall performance of the company. In these situations, you should focus on an individual's comp contribution to the success of your company, not just the job title. Some companies might even place a top salesperson on an incentive pay plan. This can lead to them possibly earning more money than the president of the company. It all depends. But you want to keep your options open. Conduct annual performance reviews. People expect to be reviewed every year. If their performances are reviewed less frequently, there's less likely the chance that they can improve their salaries. As much as possible, arrange to review all employees at the same time on the same day each year. If you don't, as the company grows, you will always seem to be reviewing employees, and this will distract them from their work and other employees from their work. So make them, kind of like in that movie Sidekicks with Chuck Norris and Jonathan Brandis, you will have fewer dreams, Barry, but they will be richer ones. Compensation. Ooh, that's a hot button. Think about compensation carefully before you make a decision. If you offer a candidate too much money, or if you increase a current employee's pay too much, this will be an ongoing issue in perpetuity because base pay and any change in base pay establishes a basis for future increases. You can't give an employee coming out of the gate 10% raise and then every year thereafter give them 8, 6, 4, and 2 because you shot too much of a wad on the onset. You want to save some wad in the reserves. You want it to make sense mathematically. You want it to make sense and mirror their behaviors. On the other hand, you don't want to offer too little or raise an employee's wages by too small an amount. I felt that's what my company was definitely guilty of. But if you do this, you run the risk of losing a good candidate or a valued employee. Uh, uh That's exactly what happened. They lost me. I didn't lose them. Some employees will speak up and complain. I did this. Others may just quietly start looking for another job. Whatever you do, have a solid plan and have a golden exit strategy when you pull that ripcord. Pew! Compensation is not just a retention issue. Many employers, especially at small business, give their employees lousy increases because they assume that employees will never, ever leave the company. The bomb shelter was guilty of this as well. They may be right, but they sure aren't going to get the full level of commitment from their employees that they would have gotten. This is brilliant. Your employee may not leave, and you may see this as you have the company, or you may have them buy the balls, but in the end, they're really going to be siphoning money from you. Because like this one gal, Sarah, who no longer worked at my former company for quite a while, she was fired. She watched Netflix movies at her desk and did no work. And whatever work she did do made no sense and just caused an influx of work for the rest of us to try to parse out and translate what the hell she was doing. She should have been fired probably within two years of working for that fine organization. They left her there for seven or eight years at least. Every day that she got her pay for hours worked, she was contributing probably 18% in output. So in that rare instance, she was actually siphoning from the company. It wasn't just the salary, it was the benefits. Healthcare, dental, various things for her kids, vacation, time off, paid leave. Point being, if you pay them just enough to keep them, they're not going to be giving you 100%. So you'll be, like the words of Sardo and Are You Afraid of the Dark, they'll be losing on the deal. Paying people well or above average is a shrewd investment. It is one of the very few areas of running a business that this gentleman, Mr. Bob Adams, does not like to skimp. Time and again, he has surprised top-performing employees with big, fat pay increases, even more than was necessary to retain them, but it was well-deserved. The final takeaways from this, better wages means better workers, 
Paying people a premium can actually reduce total wage costs. Pay the person, not the position. You know, like vote the man, don't vote the party. In theory, that's what you should be doing, but let's face it. We become so bifurcated with these political factions, there's no way out. Sorry, I let it slip. Actually, I'm not sorry. We do need to talk about these things, but this is not primarily a political podcast. It is a how to survive the white collar corporate terror podcast. Compensation is about motivation, not just retention. So thank you, Mr. Adams. Podience, are you fine with your salary, spot bonuses, and company match? Are you fine? Fine? Let me tell you about the word fine. Fine was a song by the rock band Aerosmith, written by Steven Tyler. This song is an acronym for effed up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. The song totaled 4 minutes, 9 seconds, and it reached number 14 on the mainstream rock tracks chart. Being fine is no longer acceptable. You need to be outstanding. My boy Wham Bam will be starting a podcast of his own. He loves the word outstanding for good reason. Fine doesn't cut it. Outstanding cuts it fine. Your monetary worth is challenging. You think you are worth Y, but then you get a Q ranking. Because your evaluated worth is determined in a laboratory of optimal, perfect storm conditions, under particular lighting for a very specific tenure, based on prior skills, personality, and talent, your worth is tallied and totaled. And this monetary sense of entitlement can become indistinguishable for what you think you are worth in general. It is hard to leave that bracket, dear listeners, that pecuniary perception of extroverted worth. I call the WC, white collar, sometimes I call them worldly celestials. Your company's infantilization of you. Be weary of fire at will states. Something this means that in a fire at will state, so Texas was a fire at will state. To the untrained ear, you think this means, oh, it's a 50-50 power split because the company can fire you for any reason and you can quit for any reason. You don't even technically have to give notice. You can just quit. I got into a discussion with someone six months ago on this topic and he seemed to think, oh, well, you know what? If your company fires you for something that you do in your private life or your personal life, that's totally up to them because you have the right to quit, don't you? But the company losing one cog in a very complex system does not carry the same damage as you losing your only system. I mean, the engine can still function without one wing nut, but without the engine, what purpose is the wing nut serving? It's, it's, it's lost. It's rolling around in a hot, vacant parking lot with no sense of purpose or direction. If you were in a fire at will state and your company just fires you out of the blue, that can lead to a suicide. People have killed themselves because now they can't provide for their families. There's this misnomer or this misunderstanding of unemployment. Okay, you only get unemployment. I know because I looked it up. You only get unemployment through a very specific set of circumstances, like general layoffs, or your position just no longer has any relevance in the company, so you get downsized. But if you get fired for some procedural matter, some internal procedural matter, you're not getting any unemployment. What my company would do, which I'm sure a lot of them do, is they're trying to avoid some piddly lawsuit, so they try to find the most legitimate grounds to fire your A-stars. What this normally meant was they would be patrolling your time cards to try to find any error that you ever made on a time card and then say, oh, you were in violation of time card contract law. You violated the time card. You signed a contract on this when you signed up with a company that you would display your time accurately. Boom, you're gone. That's normally how that would work when they were gunning for you. They would just find some time card violation. You can't collect unemployment if you were fired for breaching an internal procedural law, so to speak. You're not getting unemployment. So I just say, be very weary and fire at will states because to me, that gives the company like 95% of the power. And that's a dangerous percentage. Your WC can replace you in 30 days or less. But what the individual loses is far more costly and considerable.
In my opinion, work is like slavery at times, and your boss can be an overseer of sorts. Because your boss is holding all the cards, you are dealing with a company that is completely dictating how you're paid, what your performance is, and the salary structure. You have no say in it. They hold the cards, they rig the game, they set the stakes. It is them with an ace up their white collar sleeve. Oh! Croupier is someone who wears like long sleeves and they will have a little suit vest that has all the diamond and the spade and the heart for cards on it. I learned the term croupier at work. I like seeing this turned on its head. As this classic scene in American Beauty with Kevin Spacey, where he really pulls one over on his boss and threatens to file a sexual harassment claim, and then he ends up walking out with like two years pay and some computer equipment, and he's whistling as he's walking out the office. It's great. The fear of losing your job can be all-encompassing to your detriment. The whole you-can-just-leave-oh-you-can-just-leave platitude is severely overutilized and misunderstood. Here's some more quotes from that great movie Wall Street. Gordon Gecko. What's worth doing is worth doing for money. Now, here is a telling scene between Bud Fox, Charlie Sheen's dad, Martin Sheen, who's actually his dad in real life, playing Carl Fox and Gordon Gecko. Carl Fox says, There came into Egypt a pharaoh who did not know. Gordon Gecko. I beg your pardon, is that a proverb or something? No, a prophecy. The rich have been doing it to the poor since the beginning of time. The only difference between the pyramids and the Empire State Building is the Egyptians didn't allow unions. I know what this guy is all about. Greed. He don't give a darn about Blue Star or the unions. He's in and out for the buck and he don't take prisoners. Some more quotes from Gordon Gecko, my man. Michael Douglas. You're walking around blind without a cane, pal. A fool and his money are lucky enough to get together in the first place. Greed captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. I'm talking about liquid. Rich enough to have your own jet. Rich enough not to waste time. Fifty, a hundred million dollars, buddy. A player or nothing. I hope you enjoyed those quotes. Maybe I wanted money too much. Maybe I lost sight of the game's goal. Maybe I was blind to the opportunity I was presented. For working good, for goodness sake, as I was blinded by my greed. I don't think so, though. I just wanted money so that I could live comfortably week to week and enjoy my time off. And I wanted to know that I was putting about 30% of my accumulating wealth to my future. That's all I wanted to do. But with my company, I worked there for 11 years. When I was hired, I was hired on at $40,000. And by the time that I had left voluntarily, I had barely reached 80. So much time, effort, energy, exhausted on these projects and the extra projects and working well outside the confines of your job requirements, putting up with difficult, angry, irate, miserable customers, putting up with managers who are incapable of managing properly, putting up with loud A-Stars employees who scream on the phone, smell like rotting baby diapers with hair set on fire, set out in a Vietnam rice paddy field for three months. That is what we had to contend with. And those are just the obvious takeaways. Not to mention just all the stresses and strains and pressures of wanting to do a good job, not get into trouble, to be fastidious with other people's money and to make good decisions. And yet, every year, like clockwork, oh yeah, you did good. Here's your 1.8 to 2.2% incentive bonus. Oh great, maybe I can buy a rope and I can buy a balustrade and I can hang myself from that because that's all you've given me. You miserable sea suckers! Ooh, man, that rage was real. I can still feel it. Your company does not pay you enough to have better than a meets quality of life. If you work for a stressful F-Stars enterprise, they need to pay you for the precarious privilege. You should be rewarded. F that. I will not even call it a reward. They owe you a directly proportionate amount in spoils for your white-collar slave-type labors and output. It is tricky indeed, and borderline imperceptible, 
to determine what work is considered valuable, as it changes and rocks, like a plug bottle on hurricane waters. It is what you were doing that year, that quarter, sometimes that F-star's day, that is being, one, noticed, two, lauded. It is very difficult for management to tell you in advance what will earn you top notches, and it is for that reason that frustration looms and sprawls and spirals out of F-star's control. The company is not compensating you for the cost of living. The bonus is not guaranteed, and you have no recourse if that bonus is denied. Oh, COVID, the Kung Flu virus, we're not giving anybody a bonus this year, sorry kids. You should just be happy that you get it, oh yeah? Well, you should just be happy I do the minimum. It is inconsequential if it is the bare minimum, with that logic. <laughs> I just, I can't wrap my head around these concepts. There's a dialogue in the great film, The Big Short. Vinny Daniel talking with Jared Bennett. Bennett is played by Ryan Gosling. So Vinny says to Jared, how are you F-starsing us? When you come for the payday, I'm going to rip your eyes out. I'm going to make a fortune. The good news is, Vinny, you're not going to care because you're going to make so much money. That's what I get out of it. Want to know what you get out of it? You get the ice cream, the hot fudge, the banana, and the nuts. Right now, I get the sprinkles. And yeah, if this goes through, I get the cherry. But you get the sundae, Vinny. You get the sundae. All right, I buy that. Thank you. Then there's a telling scene between Lawrence Fields and Michael Burry. Michael Burry played by the great Christian Bale. Lawrence Fields says, and Lawrence Fields is a big time boss. Your big mortgage bet concerns us. We have no confidence in your ability to identify macroeconomic trends. And then Michael Burry played by the great Christian Bale. You flew here to tell me that? Why? I mean, anyone can see there's a real estate bubble. Actually, no one can see a bubble. That's what makes it a bubble. That's dumb, Lawrence. There are always markers. Mortgage fraud. It's quadrupled since 2000. Average take-home pay is flat, yet home prices are soaring. That means homes are debts, not assets. So, Mike Burry of San Jose, a guy who gets his hair cut at Supercuts and doesn't wear shoes, knows more than Alan Greenspan and Hank Paulson. Dr. Mike Burry. And yes, he does. Remember, audience, I know we're talking a lot about wealth and money and power and prestige. Money is not everything. And no, no, no. You can curb that cracked-wise reply of, it is the only thing. No, it is not. I had a great time on the Atlantic Beach playing Frisbee with some in-laws. There was no money involved. It was a Frisbee, and it was the warm yet refreshing water off of the Atlantic coast. My boy Othello, my favorite pet in all the land, is virtually free. I used to have flaming pinecone fights as a child. You know, you find some pinecones in the fall. They are very dry. They are perfect kindling. You can light those bad boys on fire and throw them at your friends. Hugs. Hugs are without any cost. How about practical F-Stars jokes? Not everything is money linked. You can have a lot of fun without that money. So don't make money the sole focus of your existence. Oh, it is important. I shiz you not. But it is not everything. Concurrently, it is not the only thing. Again, Michael Burry. Now remember, Christian Bale is one of the greatest actors, if not the greatest actor of our generation. Some days I have this battle, like who's a better actor, Christian Bale or Leonardo DiCaprio? And it's a F-Stars struggle. But he got a Best Supporting Actor nomination for this film, The Big Short. So Michael Burry, I met my wife on Match.com. My profile said that I'm a medical student with only one eye, an awkward social manner, and $145,000 in student loans. She wrote back, you're just what I've been looking for. She meant honest. Money is not everything. Honesty might be the only thing. There's some great dialogue from The Shield, again driving home the point about the dangers of monetary lust. Hell, monetary lust might as well be a seven deadly synergy. So Vic Mackey, played by Michael Chiklis, talking to Shane, played by Walton Goggins. They have this great back and forth throughout the entire show, but basically Vic is always trying to give him advice for things that are very critical for the side curriculars that they are partaking in. And Shane is kind of like a little brother that keeps getting into shiz. He's always getting into trouble. 
So this is a great dialogue. They've stolen a bunch of money from the money train operation. And now they are trying to be very careful with the money and not spend it for like a year until they get off everyone's radar. Vic, I see someone parked a new Lexus in your parking spot, Shane. Mara needed it for work and it's pre-owned. Yeah, and I told you not to buy it for her. We're going to talk about this later. This Garza guy is going to give us his gun? Why? It's called commerce. Here, you carry the money. Holy shiz, army issue MP5s don't come cheap. Aceveda signed off on this? On a wad like this? Not exactly. Look, I didn't have time to go through the proper channels, Shane. This is from our money train stash? It's for display purposes only. Then it goes right back where it came from. I told Kern that I'd get the gun back. It's going to make our jobs easier and safer. So you dipped into our life savings to keep a promise to some scumbag? Asafina wouldn't sign off on time, so we're going to do this off the books. We won't even get credit for taking these guns off the street. And then Shane closes with, we're going to talk about this later too. What is the difference between a direct and an inverse relationship? Direct relationships increase or decrease together, but inverse relationships move in opposite directions. To me, there's only one way. Harder work equals higher compensation. They work in tandem. The higher you reach for that WC ceiling, the more cash should drop from the ceiling F-Stars fan. But at my former company, it so often seemed to be the case that the more you worked, your pay either remained stagnant or it was almost an inverse relationship compared to the output. And you working hard should not be at an inverse or cross relationship with your material trappings that you walk away with. Personal nugget time. Be nice to people, audience. Be nice to strangers. Make every effort. You just never know how it's going to play to your favor. I would walk downstairs sometimes to get away from the confines of that coffin of a white collar workstation. And in my walks, I would see people. Some I recognized, some I didn't. Because in the insurance industry, it's high turnover after all. But I saw this pretty blonde thing one day walking around and our eyes met and we just did the courtesy smile. But I would walk a lot. And so over time, it got to the point where finally one day I said, listen, I've seen you the last 37 days. I'm going to continue seeing you as I am avoiding the upstairs like the plague. What is your name? Kathleen, an Irish name. At least I know her name now. I would sometimes go on walks with my boy, Lammy, bro, 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 bro. You know, we would notice things going on in the world, a pretty sunset, a mountain range. We would notice carbon-based life forms who were moderately to exquisitely attractive. It just kind of became this running joke that everyone that worked in our office was hideously disgusting or disfigured. Well, one day we're walking, we're getting closer to approaching Kathleen, who's walking the opposite direction. And as we get closer, I say, hello, Kathleen. And she says, hello, falsetto. And immediately, once she got outside of earshot, my boy Lambro says, Okay, we're going to need to discuss this. It reminded me of the Shane and Vic scene. And for about five minutes, I was able to play it off like, I don't know how I know her. Maybe I've known her for years. And then I finally came clean and said, look, I just said hello to her one day and we know each other's names. But for like five minutes, my boy had me thinking I was a king among men. One time I was getting a bunch of groceries out of the car and I had like six grocery bags looped over my left arm, 12 looped over my right arm. If I had a third arm, that would be totally full of groceries. I'm trying to close the lid on the SUV climb up two flights of stairs and bring in the groceries. Meanwhile, as I'm juggling like a disgruntled clown all of these grocery items, this woman who would walk her Rottweiler to the dog park every day was walking past me and she could clearly see me struggling. Gallons of sweat on my brow, a huffing and puffing sound emanating from my throat. And I looked at her and I didn't know her, but I had to say something because I probably looked hysterical. And I said, you know, this is one of those times that I really wish that I was an octopus. She looked at me cold and confused. What? Why would you want to be an octopus? Because they have eight limbs! Fool! Never did I speak with her again. She was a waste of my time. I made it up the stairs with all the groceries intact. Thank you, Miss Rottweiler Walker. You are less than nothing.
Nasty surprises attack by force, yet they sneak stealthily, darn near silently. They are the strangest thing, nasty surprises. There was a jerk in high school named Adam. Now this fool was a jerk's jerk. He was baptized in Caribbean jerk seasoning and sucked a beef jerky thumb in his growing years. Well, his homecoming date, also named Kathleen, as luck would have it, came out as a lezzy at their homecoming. As he made everything about him anyways, this pushed this guy to the brink and put him in his place. That nasty little surprise was waiting for you, Adam, like a bullet with your F-star's name on it. Boom! Pop, pop, pop! Maybe three bullets. Lesson, don't be a jerk perpetually, and screen your homecoming dates better. She like the taco, not the hot dog. How did you not know this? Not my problem. I don't like to be waylaid as much as the next courteous mammal, like a politician with his knickers down, or that notorious blue Monica Lewinsky gown. But good surprises float out in the seagrass of daily life too, dear listeners. My main man comrade was initially hesitant to play a part or be a voice on these chemohawk sessions. I was despondent, but not defeated. And what do you know? He just reached out to me and let me know the cosmic synchronicity came through, and he is now down like Banana Brown, and it is on like Donkey Kong. I am stoked to have him on as a voice of reason for the unreasonable, and we will have a grand old time. Be kind, unwind. Here is a novel notion. Say hello to people in the hallway. Will they all be as sightly as Kathleen? Probably not. But hey, you don't know until you know. Don't be mindless like Octopus Gal. Be thoughtful in your approach to even the briefest of social interactions. Remember radical intentionality. Demand more money, politely of course, but know there are limitations and restrictions. Pick your battles and forge new avenues of defeat for them. Retreat for yourself, if defeat is truly not on the table or in the deck of cards. It is not enough to know your worth, audience. You have to put them on notice of your worth and hold them to F-Star's account. Not once, raising a child or a pet or F-Star's vegetable garden is not a one-time deal. It requires constant, repetitive, and sometimes exhaustive attention. Treat them accordingly. Is your boss a child? <laughs> Probably. A domesticated or wild animal? Or are they a vegetable? Okay, okay. You get my point and you take my God D-Star's meaning. Unwind your daily financial grind, dear listeners, and as you unwind, be blind to nothing. See everything, for what you see can pay more than even the boldest caper score. Remain close and listen well, for when next we meet, a guest will meet your host. I am exhilarated to bring you another Chemohawk audience Sessions. Tune in for Chapter 34, White Collar, Black Belt, Emotional Health, Promotional Wealth, and Coworker Wise, Chemohawk audience Sessions, with Tim Taco. This episode was so much fun, I think we're going to do a second one that is in the vein of currency. So be on the lookout, or be on the sound out is more appropriate, as you cannot look at voiced words. Falsetto out. <laughs>